Good morning, beloved of God. Uh, to keep our mind in tune with the sermon of today, our Bible reading will be from the book of Ephesians 2, verse 3 up until 10, and I'll be reading from the Bible in Basic English version. Among whom we all at one time we are living in the pleasures of our own flesh, giving away to the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and the punishment of God was waiting for us even as for the rest. But God, being full of mercy through the great love which he had for us, even when we were dead through our sins, gave us life together with Christ, by grace, you all have salvation. So that we came back from death with him and are seated with him in heaven in Christ Jesus, that in the time to come he might make clear the full wealth of his grace and his mercy to us in Christ Jesus. Because by grace you have salvation through faith, and that not of yourself, it is given by God. Not by work, works, so that no man may take glory of himself. For by his act we were given existence in Christ Jesus to do those good works, which God before made ready for us, so that we might do them. May the Lord have blessing to his words in Jesus' name. Morning, church. Have you ever had somebody ask you about your life? You know, this question here, who are you? I'm sure we've all experienced that, somebody asking us that before, right? But what do you say when someone asks you that? You know, there's a lot of ways to explain who we are. uh, But quite often, at least in my experience, I've heard people just tell it as a story. You know, you can list a bunch of facts about your life, but in my experience, most people don't do that. They, they want to tell a story. It's more natural, it's more meaningful to tell your life in the form of a story. We've reached uh, the month of November, and that brings us to our next uh, section, our next mini-series in our year-long pursuit of talking about what we believe. And in November, we're planning to focus on what we believe about our identity. What does the Bible have to say about who we are? And speaking of stories, uh, as we look at who we are today, I think the best way to do it is to share a story. And that's mainly because our scripture reading today that Thompson just read for us, uh, it shares a story of our identity. It tells us where we came from and where we're heading. And I want to go through that story with you this morning and highlight some some things in there. But one thing in particular that is extremely important about our identity. Verse 5 says that we've been made alive in Christ. And hopefully by the end of this, uh, we'll have a better appreciation for what that's talking about. To sum it up, uh, our scripture today reminds us that we've been given uh, new uh, we've been given new life with an old purpose. And so that's the title of our lesson today. The story for the Christian, it revolves around this idea. Through Jesus, we've been given a new life. And we've been given that new life to accomplish a very old purpose. 
In a lot of ways, that's our story. And I want to highlight three main scenes from that story, if you like, as we go through this scripture together this morning. The scenes are these, uh, the old life, the redeeming love and uh, sorry, the old lie, the redeeming love and the new life. And I realize that talking about it as, you know, our story, uh, it's a bit presumptuous because it's a story that some people are going to relate to more than others. Maybe some of us will see, uh, see this story as a totally brand new idea. Maybe some of us will relate to certain parts of it, but not others. And, and maybe some of us will identify with the whole thing. But no matter who you are, I hope this morning uh, that, that this story helps you to see more clearly God's plan for your life, His purpose for your life, and for mine. And why through Jesus, He offers all of us a new life with an old purpose. Okay, so let's start with the first scene of the story, which is the old lie. And the old lie, it takes us way back. It takes us way back to the beginning of our story. Uh, it starts off about a story of humanity falling for a lie. But the thing about this lie, this old lie, is that we haven't just fallen for it once. Our story is a story of falling for the same lie over and over and over again. <laughs> it gets repackaged uh, in different wrapping and it comes back to us and, and, and it gets resold to us over and over we can read about the first experience we have with this old lie just just when God created the first two people, Adam and Eve. They were living with him in the garden. And, and check out this familiar scene probably to a lot of us from Genesis 3, verses 2 to 5. The woman, being Eve, uh, she said to the serpent, uh, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did you catch the lie? How would you describe it? How would you describe that lie? You know, this cunning, yeah. The, the serpent, you know, he wanted, he wanted Eve to, to believe something that wasn't true. He wanted Eve to think that God was holding out on her, right? He says, you're not going to die. God just knows that if you eat the fruit, you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want that. In essence, the serpent is saying, you know, God can't be trusted. And, and I think this is really the root of the lie, this old lie that makes up a huge part of our story. God can't be trusted. And you can do a better job of deciding what is right and wrong for yourself. Does that sound familiar to you? I mean, it should. Eve was the first one to fall for it, but we've been falling for the same lie over and over ever since. We're still falling for it today. This idea that God can't be trusted. God's way of life is, is outdated. We should just... We should just do our own thing. God's way of life is, is, doesn't work anymore. It's not, it's not right to live God's way of life. Just compromise this one time. God wants to take the fun out of everything. Being holy is impractical. Opening up to people, it's too risky. You know, all of these things are just repackaged versions of the same old lie. God can't be trusted. And you should define right and wrong for yourself. It's a terrible lie. 
and straight from the pit of hell. And the crazy part is that it always presents itself as something that's going to be beneficial to us, right? If we, write, uh, if we redefine right and wrong for ourselves, we, we conclude, you know, it will be good for us this time. It's easy to believe that, right? I think we've all experienced that. But like Eve, the reality is that if we, if we walk that path, we're just treading towards our death. It reminds me of what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8. It says, Be alert and of sober mind, for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is our enemy. Our enemy is constantly on the prowl because he wants us to sell uh, he wants to sell us this lie one more time. The image of the lion roaming around is pretty graphic, but it helps us to see how dangerous this lie really is. It will not lead us to somewhere better. It will actually devour us. And in our reading this morning and in the verses just before the reading, we get we get sort of a fuller picture of what it looks like to live in this lie. Look what it says, starting uh, still in Ephesians 2, but backing up a couple verses to verse 1. This is the description of what the lie looks like, the life of the lie. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The Apostle Paul, he wrote these words. And the most chilling part of them all for me is is what he said in verse 3 here, that he included himself in the description. He said, we all, including himself, used to live like this. And I think that should cause us to realize something that's, I think, really important. Sometimes we read passages like this about, you know, a group of people who are living uh, in, in trespasses and sins, and, and our mind goes uh, to a certain group of people. <laughs> Maybe we think about criminals and thieves and murderers and rapists, you know, the bad people. Those are the people who are living in trespasses and sins. And since I'm not one of those people, this this passage isn't referring to me, right? (laughs) But don't jump to that conclusion. Remember, Paul included himself in this group, even though elsewhere in the Bible, he says that he was considered a Hebrew of Hebrews. Before he knew Jesus, people looked up to him. He was an upstanding member of society. But he still says that he used to be in this group of people who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And and this means that the difference, please don't miss this, the difference between living for God and not living for God comes down to something besides whether or not you're seen as a good member of society. (laughs) The scripture brings clarity uh, to this question in verse 2. Who are you following? Who are you following today? That's what it comes down to. That's how you know if you're caught in the lie or not. Are you following the influence of that old snake in the garden? 
Do you define right and wrong for yourself? And maybe here's the clearest description. Verse 3, it says that defining, the defining line or the dividing line between someone living for God and someone living for the lie is whether or not, sorry, whether or not they're carrying out the desires of their body and mind. Carrying out the desires of your body and mind. In other words, this group of people, they just do what they want to do. What's right for them. How's that for a description? We know this, right? We hear this all the time. You do you. You know, live life on your own terms. But it's just that same old lie again, isn't it? God can't be trusted and you should define right and wrong for yourself. It comes down to who's leading. Who's leading on the path of your life? Is it God or is it you? And those are two completely different paths. Even though on the surface it may be hard to tell which path someone is actually on. Yeah, sometimes the path of self will lead someone to become a notorious criminal. (laughs) And it'll be obvious to everybody. But other times, maybe most times, they might look like Saul of Tarsus before he became Paul. An upstanding member of society. You know, by both of these people... The notorious criminal and the upstanding member of society can be totally wrapped up in the same lie. They can both be living by the same mantra. God can't be trusted. You do you. Which mantra are you living by? I hope this is painting a a clear picture of how sneaky this lie can be. And, and why it's such a problem for us in the story of who we are. And I realize that, you know, the start of our story here is kind of a downer. <laughs> um, but it's a reality. It's a reality of where we're at, where we've been, maybe where some of us still are, or maybe where all of us are tempted to go back to time and time again. The next scene, though, is much better. The next part of the story I hope you can identify with as well. It's the part of the story that revolves around God's redeeming love. We see the, the power of this scene when we look at the difference between verse 3, which we've already read, uh, verse 3 and verse 10, uh, which, which is here. I'll read it. Uh, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared uh, in advance that we should walk in them. Okay, so wait, there was a big change here, right? If you're looking at these verses. In our story, how did we get from living uh, in, in, the, in the carrying out of our flesh to the point where we are embracing this new life of good works? How did, how did that happen? And maybe if that isn't a story that you identify with right now, how could, how could someone ever get to the point where verse 10 is their reality? It's an amazing transformation, isn't it? And it all stems, I think, from these two words here in verse 4, which are not on the screen yet because I want to highlight this. (laughs) Uh, Here they are. Verse 4. But God. There's two small words with such incredible meaning for us. These are some of the most powerful words in the story of our life. In the old lie scene, all hope seemed to be lost. Our enemies seem to have won, but God made a difference. Here's how he did it in the rest of verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of his great uh, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. (laughs) That is such good news. For by grace, you have been saved. What a gift. What an amazing gift. We were dead, abandoned. We had walked our self-defined path and ended up in a really bad place. But because of his great love for us, we were redeemed. We just sang that before the sermon, right? Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise the one who set us free. Amen. Have you ever watched one of those uh, TV shows? I don't know if anybody still watches TV. Um, maybe like this one here, one of these shows where people find old vehicles in like a junkyard or something and, and they restore them. People are so talented at what they do. I I love watching what they can do to transform an old rusty vehicle. I think they're a little bit crazy though, too, at the same time. I mean, I mean, think about it. They're willing to do a lot of work with something that looks like it should just be sent to the crusher. It's covered in dust. Things are falling apart. There's pieces missing. But the amazing thing is that they see the potential, right? They know what that car can look like if it's restored to its original condition. And so they actually pay money for a hunk of junk so that they can put a whole bunch of their time and effort to getting it back to what it was meant to be in the first place. You know where I'm going with this, right? According to verse 4 and 5, That car is every one of us who's been redeemed by God's love through Jesus. You know, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. It's incredible. Even when we were at our worst, even when we were dead in the junkyard, you could say God paid a ridiculously high price for us. It cost him his son. And that brings us back to this question that I posed a little while ago. You know, how did we get from the lie scene to the embracing good works scene? What made the difference? And, And I think the answer is that we saw something that finally changed our mind about the old lie once and for all. And the thing that we saw was the power of God's redeeming love. His love set us free from the lie. And you, and you might wonder, maybe if, you, if this is the first time you've heard this, you know, you might wonder, well, how could love do something like that? And I think at least part of the answer is that in Jesus, uh, humanity experienced what can happen when someone lives for God instead of, the, instead of lives for the old lie. And it, and it was inspiring. You see, in Jesus' time, there were many voices telling him to believe the lie as well. It's always been that way. Even Jesus was tempted to define right and wrong for himself. But in the midst of all those temptations, in the face of that endless barrage from our enemy that had caused everyone else to fail, Jesus finally did it. He finally lived differently. He utterly rejected the lie and showed the world what happens when someone denies themselves and lives for God. And it was amazing. The benefits were undeniable. In some very real ways, heaven came to earth. And things happened like what Isaiah, a prophet who wrote way before Jesus' time, uh, things happened like he said would happen. In Isaiah 61, 
The spirit of the Lord, a sovereign Lord, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release the dark uh, and release from darkness for the prisoners. So what Jesus accomplished was was amazing enough, but the really powerful thing and the thing that, that really relates it to our story is that a seed was planted. Jesus didn't just come to show people what this new life looked like. He came to invite us to join him in it as well. And everything in our story changed because of that. He planted an incredible idea in the hearts and minds of people. Maybe, just maybe, if I follow the ways of Jesus, maybe I could also proclaim good news to the poor. Maybe I could also bind up the brokenhearted. Maybe I could also proclaim freedom for the captives and release the prisoners. Maybe instead of falling for that old way of life that always seems to destroy life, maybe if I follow Jesus... I can contribute to something life-giving. The seed of God's Word was planted, and one by one, we started to actually believe that we could be different. (laughs) We started following Jesus' example, and it was a game-changer, man. Jesus changed the world. He's still changing the world. But not everybody wanted it, right? Because if you're going to follow Jesus, then, well, you're going to have to follow Jesus. <laughs> and his way of life comes with a cost. He didn't, he didn't mince words. He told us this. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And this is the sticking point in, in our story for many people. And maybe this is where you're stuck today. You realize that God's love is good. You realize that sin is bad, but you haven't really come to the point where you're ready to accept that new life that he has for you. What is the new life anyway? I think we get confused about this because sometimes we don't really communicate the full story of the gospel very well. It sucks when you're missing part of the story, right? Anybody who's ever watched a good series on Netflix knows what I'm talking about. You know, they always leave you at a cliffhanger right at the end of that episode. And it's like the worst thing. You have to watch the next one because you have to know the rest of the story or else you're going to miss out. And I think, unfortunately, in the church, sometimes we're missing out on part of the story because we don't talk about the full story when it comes to the new life that God has for us. We often think about the new life in terms of, you know, going to heaven one day. And obviously that's a huge part of the new life, but there's a problem that I've seen. We put such an emphasis on what we are saved from, you know, saved from punishment, from sin, saved from separation from God. We emphasize what we're saved from so much that we forget to talk about what we're saved for. And when we do that, we're missing half of the gospel. It's a big deal. We're missing half of the story about what this new life is all about. It's, it's like that car in the junkyard again. The restoration expert buys that rusty vehicle and does a bunch of work to bring it back to its original condition, to bring it back to what it looked like before all the decay set in. And it's amazing. 
But the thing is, and we know this, the person who restored the vehicle, they didn't just do it for no reason. They brought it back to life for a purpose, right? They brought it back to life so it could once again do what it was originally designed to do. They brought it back so that it it wouldn't have to just keep sitting there anymore, just rotting away in the junkyard when it could be rolling down the street for all to see glorifying the person who redeemed it. It was saved for a reason and so were we. And this is what we can't afford to miss about the new life that God offers us. He saved us from rotting away in sin so that we could do something meaningful. To partner with Him as His image bearer in the world and to bring His love to His lost children and bring them home. It's a new life with a very old purpose. The purpose that He originally made us for. And I I love how the New Living Translation phrases verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things He planned for us long ago. But the thing is, you know, this new life, it's both a gift and it's also an invitation. We talk a lot about it being a gift, but have you ever considered the invitation? It's an invitation to deny yourself which sounds kind of crazy, until you realize that denying yourself is precisely the thing that you must do if you want to live for Him. You must do it because the pursuit of self is exactly what's holding you back from living for Him. Just like it says in Galatians 5, the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. The only way uh, to live the new life is to deny the old life, to deny our flesh. Maybe you've read this verse before on the screen and you just thought God was a buzzkill. (laughs) But I, I hope that this is opening your mind a little bit. I hope today you're seeing that he wants this for you because he's trying to save you from an old, old lie that will kill you. That's the new life. It's a new life with an old purpose. It's the only life where we can join our story with the eternal story of what God is doing to restore His children back to their rightful place and purpose. It's the best life that we could ever live. In some ways, this new life costs us nothing, but in other ways, it costs us everything. Not in a, not in a cost sense that we could, that we could ever pay for it, But it will cost us everything in the sense that we have to give up control of everything. Not because we're paying for our new life, but because we're accepting an invitation to deny ourselves and live differently. We're always going to be tempted to go back to the old life. We're always going to be tempted to follow our own path. But Jesus helps us to see why the new life is so much better than the old one. Like it says in Later on in Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 20, That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus, you were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness, and holiness. 
What a what amazing scripture that is. Have you ever been deceived by anybody? <laughs> you know, don't raise your hand. <laughs> um, I think probably all of us have felt that. That's a painful thing, right? We we have probably some painful memories in our minds floating around right now. Maybe you're thinking about someone who is who's just been awful to you. But I want to I want to use that idea to point something very powerful out here from verse 22. It points out the crux of what we've been talking about today. It reminds us of someone else who can deceive us so easily. And the scary part is the person who will deceive us is not another person. It's the person standing in the mirror looking back at you. Let that sink in for a second. The Bible says here that our own desires can deceive us. If we keep living that former way of life where we follow our own desires, we'll be deceived. And it gets worse. Not only will we be deceived, but eventually that way of life will corrupt us. Corrupt means to spoil or to go bad. It's, it's like that car rotting in the junkyard. Thankfully, we've been saved from that, but we need to remember that not only were we saved from something, but we were also saved for something too. To use C.S. Lewis's analogy, we cannot go back to making mud pies in a slum when God offers us a vacation by the sea. We've been saved for something far better and far more meaningful. Verse 24 goes as far as saying that this new life allows us to be like God. Which is incredible to think about on one hand, but on the other hand, it's really just the purpose we've always had. This was God's plan all along for us to bear His image. And today, God wants to give us a new life for that old purpose. Jesus showed us how to do this, and when we follow His way of life, we will find that new life too. So according to Ephesians 2, this is our story, for better or worse. Do you see yourself in this story? Where are you right now? Are you struggling to get free from the old life? Maybe you didn't even know about this old lie we've been talking about. Or maybe you're stuck in the second scene. Maybe you've always been in awe of what Jesus accomplished when he was here with his life, but you've never really appreciated how the gift of his life was both a gift to you and an invitation for you to join him in his way of life. Or maybe you're trying to embrace that new life. You're trying to deny yourself, but you're struggling mightily with your flesh because it doesn't want to give up control. Maybe you're trying to live the new life, but it's hard for you to figure out what that's actually supposed to look like on a daily basis. I've been in all those places. In some ways, I'm still in a lot of them. The struggles are real, and I get that. But we want to grow from that. And I really encourage all of us to seek that new life and seek the church in that. Lean into your brothers and sisters because we are here to help each other with that. That's why Jesus gave us the church. And I encourage all of us this week to spend some time talking to our brothers and sisters about this new life. I pray that this new life with an old purpose will become our identity, that we will live out this new identity with power and conviction. And as always, if I can help you with that, uh, please feel free to come and talk to me.
And if you're at the point today where you're ready to follow Jesus' lead and, and reject that lie for yourself, please know that we'd love to help you with that. You can begin your journey and commit to Jesus by repenting of your old way of life, being baptized into Christ. If we can help you with that today, please come and see me as well. Thank you for your time.